Today's episode of The Rewatchables on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by State Farm. State Farm agents know that in life, anything can happen. You might buy your dream car on impulse or come home to a broken apartment. Maybe say yes to a proposal from your significant other and start a family or find yourself in a fender bender when you least expect it. Whatever happens when it comes to home and auto insurance, State Farm agents are there to help. With over 19,000 agents in neighborhoods across the U.S., there could be one just around the corner. Contact an agent today because no matter what neighborhood you're from or whatever stage of life you're in, check out statefarm.com today to find an agent in your neighborhood. State Farm, talk to an agent today. We're also brought to you by TheRinger.com, one of the world's last great websites, as well as The Ringer Podcast Network, where you can find the big picture, Sean Fennessy's podcast that breaks down everything that's happening with the Oscars, Golden Globes, Interviews with directors, all kinds of things. If you love movies, you're probably listening to this podcast because of that. Well, you would like that podcast too. Check it out. Coming up, part two of the Quentin Tarantino trilogy here on The Rewatchables. Don't get sentimental on me. Makes me think I'm going to die. The Rewatchables. Unstoppable. Coming up next. We have an unmanned train rolling into a highly populated area with no air brakes. Yeah. Over six, over six. What's up? There's an unmanned train on the northbound track. It's under power? It's coming straight at us. What are we worried about in terms of cargo? Eight great cars of hazardous chemicals. We're not just talking about a train. We're talking about a missile the size of the Chrysler building. I need to know where that train is. We're not exactly sure. You're not sure? We'll find out. Watch out! It gets worse. I've got 150 students coming in on some field trip on track 16. Hey! Close your eyes if you want. You got a real knack for inspiring confidence, you know that? (laughs) All right, Chris Ryan is here. Quentin Tarantino is here. You picked this movie. Yes, I did. We asked you to pick a couple movies. This was one of the ones you picked, and I did like a quadruple take. Mm -hmm. It's like unstoppable. I remember really liking that movie, but I haven't really thought about it since. Mm Mm-hmm. I think I know why you picked this movie, but why did you pick this movie? Well, one, I don't think it's that incredulous. <laughs> Making right. it I just haven't thought about it in a while. <laughs> I picked it because I just actually spent uh, pretty much the last, between six weeks and, and yeah, about the last six weeks, uh, going through a whole bunch of the movies of the last decade so I could make my top ten. Mm. of uh, of the decade. And so I was like rewatching a lot of stuff that I liked and uh, watching a lot of stuff uh, that I never got around to watching, but I actually thought could be a contender to one degree or another. And um, so one of the ones that I did rewatch was uh, Unstoppable. One to see if it would make my top 10 list and then another to see, well, it would definitely make my top 10 genre list. Yeah. yeah. Right? You know, so, and, and that's kind of where I was coming from on it. And when I saw it, it just blew me away so much. Both the combination of just the movie that is the movie, the movie that's on screen, the movie that's there. And then the idea that it's just one of the last great last movies of a director of all time at the height of his powers doing what he does. And that's not even being nostalgic or sentimental. That is just, I think, what it is. Yeah. All right. And and then even comparing it to all the other great genre movies this year, it was like, it was like number 10. It was like number 10 on my top 10 yeah. of, of the decade. And frankly, now after watching it again for this, 
It should be higher. (laughs) (laughs) Chris, what'd you think on the rewatch? This movie fucking rules. I mean, this movie is just like lean, mean, middleweight champion. You know what I mean? Like it's like 90 minutes in and out. feels like it takes 35 minutes. And the thing that I love about this, especially on rewatch, and I'm sure we'll get like way into like Tony Scott's uh, vision for this movie, is that there are like, I think three shots where there isn't something moving across the frame. Mm -hmm, Like there's either a train moving or he's moving his camera or he's got things going on. So even the most pedestrian two people talking in an office scenes are like, well, the camera's zooming in and out. And then there's someone walking across the frame in the foreground. Mm -hmm. And in the background, there's computer screens going back and forth and back and forth. Mm -hmm. And then he's like whipping the camera. Shooting through glass reflections with a a light blinking on them as the camera is, their characters are moving from left to right and the camera's moving right to left. Yeah, and it's just Rosario (laughs) Dawson being like, Galvin, do you have a plan yet? Yeah. It makes almost no sense, but it's so electrifying to watch it. So I, I just think it's like one of those like, Tour de force filmmaking things. And then also, we talked about this a lot with Dunkirk. Great jargon movie. Like, you start this movie and you're like, I basically know the words like Amtrak and dining car (laughs) when it comes to trains. And then at the end, you're like, you can't side like that. (laughs) You got to get to the rip track. What's he doing? (laughs) It's just like, it's an amazing thing where all of a sudden you're a fucking train expert like 35 minutes into the movie. I think this decade, this was the tail end of this decade where they were making this movie in different versions a lot. And I do feel like it got lost a little bit because it got fantastic it made, reviews. No one expected it to. It was like, I mean, it's look, it's a corny idea. We've seen the idea of a runaway train before. I mean, it's a very most basic idea. Yeah. Right. For like, you know, for a movie. And because of that, and then the fact that it was just coming off of taking a Pelham one, two, three. Well, that was that was the issue. Is yeah. that movie came out a year before also a train? Yeah. Also then, Denzel Washington. When I was doing the research for this, it was like this movie made $170 million. Yeah. But and you got great reviews. Oh yeah, yeah. no, Tom uh, uh, A.O. Scott put it on his top ten of the year. Yeah, all right. And actually, his and his his little capsule review for the top ten of the year was great. It was like sometimes a runaway train movie is exactly what you want to see. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Right. Yeah. So so what happens? So this is a good movie that makes a lot of money, done by a really good director with a major star, but is not discussed. Why, why does that we're happen with this movie, but not another movie? <laughs> we're no, we're discussing it now. I, well, but why, why did it have you're to be active, this I, I think you, I think you were, I think you're in a little bubble that people don't love this movie and don't talk about this movie. So where was I? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I blame you, Chris Ryan. <laughs> I, I should have been more bringing the, the Unstoppable campaign to your front door. I just think it's funny that some movies have these just these long legs and other ones are appreciated, respected, they do well. But I can't imagine bringing up. Tale. I can't imagine bringing up Unstoppable to anybody who hasn't seen it to then go, "Oh man, that was great!" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, but but there is actually an aspect about it is it has that kind of snakes on a plane kind of thing where okay, well you get the premise, you know, the 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 the, the premise is in the title. Yeah. All right, and right. and uh, uh, I think they even say it during the movie. Yeah. which I was like, <laughs> they say the title during the movie. You could sell you know, you uh, uh, you can describe the movie in a sentence basically. Yeah. And then the idea though is that that idea and that sentence and that premise is so completely in the in both the most funnest movie way, the most sophisticated movie way, uh, uh, just uh, 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 delivered. Yeah. In, in, but also in this really classy way that it's just like, wow. You give Tony Scott a premise like this with those actors and that script and when that kind of technology that he had is available to like to create, to orchestrate all that madness. Yeah. It's just like, well, of course it was going to be great. You can think about all the but ways. it still catches you by surprise. Oh, for that sure. That it's as good as it is. Part of that I think is also like, <laughs> 
it's it feels like it's it's in that central Pennsylvania, Ohio, Rust Belt area. Like if they had shot this movie like in any other place, if they had tried to get away with too much CGI, if they had done it in like in Louisiana somewhere or yeah, yeah. like outside of Atlanta, it just wouldn't feel this way. Yeah, no, no, yeah. So, no, some city that you know, some state that has a tax rebate. Yeah, and so that's where they went. No, he's got <laughs> like I've got like five helicopters flying over this this train, mm-hmm. and it's going to be we're going to do it in Ohio, we're going to do it outside of Pittsburgh. It's going to be real. I, I was thinking about Enemy of State when I was rewatching this because uh-huh. that's another one that I just feel like is a good premise mm-hmm. that I've seen before in different ways, yeah. done really well with a major star and just executed. Yeah. And Hackman's mm-hmm. awesome in it. Yeah. And it just goes and it flows. And with this one, it just, mm-hmm. this movie just goes and then it's over. It's yeah, like, yeah. wow, that was fast. Well, you know, also, but you know, this, this has a lot of hallmarks to a lot of uh, Tony Scott's other movies and actually Enemy of the State is a really good parallel with it. And it's one of those things that, you know, not realizing he's going to exit the stage, you didn't quite realize how how strong the hallmarks were mm-hmm. yeah. maybe on the day that you were watching it. But um, the whole kind of calliope of characters. You definitely have your your charismatic yeah. stars mm-hmm. that are leading the boat, all right? And you have your secondary group of actors that are that are uh, uh, you know backing them up, leading the charge. But then you have all these pockets of wild interesting character actors where everybody or young faces or old faces, everyone's perfect in it. Yeah. And uh and then they keep intruding on the story and keep taking the story in their own way. Kevin Corrigan takes the story into his own way as yeah. the uh, expert guy yeah. uh, at the thing. And, uh, you know, the, the two idiots, Ethan Suppley and the other guy. T.J. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, Crimson Tide had that. Yeah. You know, with this whole calliope of characters that actually these smaller characters start intruding in on the story and start dominating the story at, at different pivotal moments. You know, like, hey, that is a Tony Scott thing. Yeah. Yeah, so and they're all filled with humor, all filled with like you know uh, 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 witticisms. Yeah. So the pace that he creates, yeah, in a movie where you just feel like you're almost going downhill. Mm-hmm. How hard is that to do, and how many people can actually do that? In particularly in this situation, where it is you know the whole movie is getting the train started, and then once the train gets going, that is the movie. And it and if it stops once. It's dead. Yeah. Right. If it stops once, the, 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 and the illusion is over. The illusion, he's let go of, he's let go of you for a second. And if he, once he lets go, he can never quite grab you back the way he has had you. Like speed is fantastic. But once the bus thing is wrapped up, it's and wrapped it takes up. A, it secretly <laughs> takes a little while for the bus to start in speed. I think yeah, it takes yeah. about 45 minutes for the bus to get going. Right. Yeah. But like we like it so much that, you know, that, you know, okay, the, the subway car thing, that is what it is. And it's still a fun movie and it's really cool. But it it's not from beginning to end. Yeah. You know, and like there's this and there's Dunkirk. I would even I would even say, I'll tell you the interesting experience I had watching this again, though. All right. So. After Tony died, I rewatched all of his movies like within a two week period, mm-hmm. and then and and look, and I'm giving you a little bit of a hard time, but I was even like a little like, wow, Unstoppable is great, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think I and then I ended up like I think watching it a couple more times like on cable when it just happened to be on for like a big big chunks or something, but then I watched it again, like I said about a month ago, and it was like, this is even better than I thought then, and so I watched it this morning. They get ready for this. Again. Yeah. And, and I have no problem watching it again. All right. Um, but I just kind of bought a bunch of other DVDs. And so I was like, okay, I got to watch 
unstoppable yeah. because I got to do this again. So it wasn't like I was, I mean, there's no dreading it, but it's not what I would have chosen to watch this morning yeah. if I had to sneak one movie in. But I did. Seven minutes into the movie, yeah. bam, I'm right there. And it's even better than it was the last month I watched it. And I'm, and, and I'm, I'm, guys, I'm not trying to even, uh, uh, I just actually think it's, I, I think it's storytelling is so masterful. It's such movie storytelling, just cinematic storytelling. And that is, you know, so, that, so if I sound like I'm going overboard, I, it's not just because I like Tony. I do think he is one of the great master action directors of the last 40 years. Mm-hmm. In his own way, he's one of the most influential filmmakers of, 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 of this last uh, 30 years. I mean, uh, you know, he kind of created that style. And then all of a sudden, every other mid-range Hollywood action movie is trying to copy his style. Michael Michael Bay style is yeah. Tony Scott's style, yeah. except more. <laughs> right. And not necessarily to uh, a good effect. Tony yeah. has the right balance. And he had so many different sort of phases of of his career in mm-hmm. terms of like his visual style. Like when he's pushing mm-hmm. the absolute limits of what you can do in like Domino yeah, yeah. and Man on Fire mm-hmm. and like he's just bleeding out frames with different colors mm-hmm. and like overexposing and switching film stocks and slowing things down and mm-hmm. speeding things up. Mm-hmm. And it's just like Kira Knightley walking down the street and he's yeah, yeah. doing all that just in there. It's mm-hmm. like Michael Bay can't do that. Michael Bay doesn't want to do but that. But there's even that aspect though is before Tony Scott was just uh, – his his style was, you know – you know, like Top Gun or, or Beverly Hills Cop 2 is the fast cutting in mm-hmm. your face, this and that. Uh, but then he he developed the style you're talking about. Yeah. Like within the last like four movies. Yeah. Enemy of the State. Right? And now yeah. that became this new style. Now everyone else is trying to do that. Yeah. Right. All right. Every commercial looks like that. And by the way, he did the commercials that made them do that. Yeah. <laughs> I love how also like rooted in the story that that stuff is like, I mean, Bill and I, fucking love man on fire yeah, yeah and his yeah. whole thing where it's love like the reason why man on fire looks the way it looks is because it's creasy's interpretation of mexico city yeah, it's yeah. like that's how it feels that's how it smells that's how it looks to him mm-hmm. there is cigarette burns in the frame like there yeah, is yeah. like this feeling of like this almost like uh sensory overload mm-hmm. so it's like it actually really does aid the story and it's the same thing for this everything yeah. is fucking rust colored in this movie mm-hmm. it's just like and and, you know, it's a train movie, but it's really a monster movie. This oh, it absolutely is a monster movie. And if, if there was one thing that I got out of this screening more than the other ones was the true King Kong quality of 777. Yeah. 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 And I think I always felt that. But now that, no, this is a monster it movie. Gives it, he gives it a voice. It has a <laughs> scream. It's like, yeah. like, like, it's like a real Godzilla fucking thing. I was struck just looking at his IMDb. You know that old game, like, all right, what actor would you take if you could have only one actor's thing on a yeah. desert yeah. island? What, who would you pick? He has so many movies that I've watched, probably collected. I don't know. He's made, like, 16 movies, 17 movies. Mm-hmm. But I've probably watched them collectively. Maybe the most. It's way up there. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, it's funny that we're on a podcast called The Rewatchables because mm-hmm. this is somebody who managed to figure out this style that was among the most rewatchable. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Like, Enemy of the State isn't a movie that I probably should have seen 40 times, but mm-hmm. I feel like I've seen it 40 I've times. I've definitely seen Crimson Tide like oh my God. 25 yeah. times. But I yeah. think it's that concept of the going downhill mm-hmm. where it's like it's really hard to pull away from yeah. Tony Scott movies. Well, you know, I mean, look, look, there was a, I'm here to tell you, there was a time in the 80s it was not cool to like yeah. Tony Scott. I mean, he was denigrated all right oh ridley was the one he's just the commercial hack screw this and i was you know and i was fighting all by myself and i would i would actually use douglas sirk 
as uh, yeah. as a, a companion, even though their films aren't alike. I was like, look, in the fifties, Douglas Sirk is making these soap opera melodram- melodramatic movies. They're actually the, the highest grossing movies in Universal's history, and he got no respect because no one had respect for the genre, and they was just tr- considered commercial trash. Yeah, you know. And now they teach him in school, and I was considered the king of melodrama. So I used Tony Scott. So I used that as an analogy for Tony Scott in the eighties. Right, and one of the really great things is in the last like you know 25 years his reputation has you know finally finally caught up with his success i remember having a um an argument once oh a fun argument with todd phillips in a hotel lobby and it was like ah, man i can't believe that you picked tony over Ridley, man like, that's, just, <laughs> that's just that's just so wrong that's just so wrong you know and i told him hey look man you can take ridley and russell i'll take tony and denzel any day of the week. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he does Top Gun in 86 and then he does Cop 2 in 87. Mm-hmm. I am in the camp that Cop 2 is better than Cop 1. I, I absolutely love Cop 2 and mm-hmm. the touches that he put. I remember leaving yeah. the theater for Cop 2 and just being like, that's everything I wanted from a sequel. Usually yeah, yeah, sequels yeah. are going to be disappointing or 80% as good as well. that one you left. You were like, wow, that was awesome. That actually yeah. took it to another level. Well, I would even go so far as to say, not just when the movie's over, Okay, we'd seen the, the Fletch sequel and the this yeah. comedy sequel and the that comedy sequel. Never and the Pee Peewee Big, big uh, Big Top Peewee sequel and everything. <laughs> and then you sit down and you, then the opening jewelry store robbery. Yeah. All right, and Beverly Hills Cop two, you know, plays and ends, and and Eddie Murphy hasn't even shown up yet. And yeah. you're like, that's the best action scene of the year. <laughs> this isn't some stupid ass fucking comedy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> this yeah. is the shit. <laughs> when, you, when you were saying how the worm had, the worm had turned on him, yeah, I really think it was because of Days of Thunder. Mm-hmm. You think because so? Cruz was at such a powerful point of his career, and he does this movie, and it feels like a greatest hits of the last five Cruz movies, and also like a greatest hits of Tony Scott and. Mm. It made people mad for some reason. I think it was one of those weird things where it was like, also, it was such a big thing. All right, you know, him following it up and, and yeah. like, and you know, everything Cruz did at that time was a thing. And so this seemed like, you know, for all intensive purposes, this was a sequel to Top Gun. Yeah, right. you know, just with a different, you know, uh, you know, actually the same genre, just a different subgenre. Yeah, same character basically. Pretty, pretty much thing. as pretty much the same character. Same director do, doing his thing, just changing the, you know, changing uh, uh, planes for cars. Um, and I think there was, and, and it was really expensive. And I think there was a resentment. There was just no kind question. of a, a machine, resentment yeah. of the machine. And then Last Boy Scout comes out. Mm-hmm. And that was another one that people was, were kind of mad about I, after that I love, out. I love Joe Hallenbeck's character in Last I'm, Boy Scout. I'm like in on Last the Boy most Scout. subversive, like people were, were revolted by that movie because yeah. was, it was so dark and it was so like, I mean, like the guy, the football player kills himself yeah. in the opening scene. He's a pill head. Yeah. Like it's. I, like I, I've always said, but as soon as I started meeting like Bruce Willis for Pulp Fiction, I was like, I want you to do another Joe Hallenbeck. <laughs> Joe <laughs> Hallenbeck after McLean is my favorite. <laughs> Of your characters, I could see five Joe Hallenbeck. What did movies. he think of Last Boy Scouts? Did he like hold it in high regard? Or was yeah, he, he like- did it. Yeah, he loved. It. Yeah, he like he liked working with Tony, and he loved that character. Yeah, yeah. I I, I think it's hands down uh, 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 Shane Black's best character. Yeah. So when you can you tell the story? I know the story, but can for the audience's purposes of how you got hooked up with Tony Scott. No, it's uh, uh, it's not much of a uh, it's not a real story story. You know, it's just uh, um, 
we had a mutual friend and this mutual friend was kind of really helping me out. And she knew that I was a big fan of Tony Scott and she had used to work with Tony. And so like Tony had this like little birthday and he invited me to the birthday and I, uh, she invited me to go with her to the birthday. And so I meet him and I'm like, you know, wow, Tony Scott. Yeah. All right. And, uh, and actually he was shooting last boy scout at the time. So then I even got invited to the set with her. And so I met him there. And then uh, I think that's, that happened first. Yeah. And then I went to this little party and it was a little tiny party too. And that was really nice, and he was re- really sweet to me. And uh, but I figured that was going to be that. But he apparently he liked me, and so he went to my friend. And he goes, "So, what's Quentin's deal? You said he's a writer or something, you know?" And she goes, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's written some scripts, and he's uh, uh, he's written two. He's written two really, really good ones. Well, I'd like to read them. All right. And uh, so she gave him a, a True Romance, and she gave him Reservoir Dogs, and then he read them, and they called her up and he goes. Okay, I want to do Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> all right. I said, well, okay. Well, he's actually gonna he's he's gonna direct that one. All right. He's that that one's his. All right. He's gonna uh, and he's 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 working to get a director, and it looks like it's actually gonna happen. So he's not gonna. You know, okay. Well, then I'll do the other one. And uh, she goes, really? He goes, yeah, I'll do the other. One. Well, actually, it's set up with Bill Lustig at Cinetel, and it's gonna be done as a little B movie. And they go, well, then let's buy him out, and that's what happened. He he made that seem like that wasn't going to be a good story. <laughs> That's amazing. Why do I want to waste our unstoppable time on well, no, the right. story of my life? Um, <laughs> so Denzel and Tony Scott do five movies. Yeah. And, one of the, I, and one you're of, convinced they are one of the great un, uh, like, underappreciated partnerships. Yeah. Uh, and again, who's underappreciating them? They're awesome. I don't think people think of that as a, I don't think that is they in don't, the I camp. mean, they don't talk about it the way people talk about like PTA and Daniel Day-Lewis or, or De Niro and Scorsese or yeah. something like that. But I think that people are okay, like, those, okay, those, well, okay, well, well, okay, well, well, you're using the highest art examples. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's use uh, 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 Don Siegel and Clint Eastwood. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, they make action movies together. Yeah. All right. He, he, he's not making, uh, he's not doing fences with them. Sure. You know, uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Tony Scott's fences would have been I'm, a good one. I'm, I'm not saying I wouldn't see that. <laughs> and Denzel always makes a point whenever they bring a, uh, bring up Tony to Denzel. Tony, Denzel, like, whoa, 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 no, we'll understand. Uh, Tony is an actress director. So if you're talking to me about Tony, you're talking about an actress director. Mm-hmm. That's why I work with him. He's an actress director. Right. You know? So mm-hmm. there's, there's a couple good pieces about them and their mm-hmm. relationship. And, Denzel said, here's why I like Tony. As you get older and wiser, you start realizing how screwed up and fragile you are. I don't mind sharing that in an environment where I feel safe. I'm not blaming anybody, but certain directors don't know what you're trying to go, how to help you get there, when to stay out of your way. Mm -hmm. They may have already figured their shot out. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm taking from that. He feels like on the set, he can work some stuff out with Tony Scott. But other directors are like, no, no, just do. I have this already storyboarded out. You're just doing this. Well, that, I think I, I that makes that makes a little uh, that makes sense. I know I, I know where he's coming from, and to try to read a little bit between the lines, maybe Tony Scott's way of shooting very opens him up that nothing is a hundred percent preset. All right, yeah. because look, I mean, this should almost be said because I mean, like I'm I'm. Almost afraid that I, my enthusiasm for Tony's work and my enthusiasm for this movie um, will seem suspicious because the guy died and mm-hmm. I was friends with him, yeah. and, or just that I'm just you know throwing hyperbole around. And I truly, truly mean this, and it's not hyperbole. And one of the things, my cases I can make for that is 
Tony Scott shoots in the exact opposite style of me. And when I mean that, I don't even mean like the finished effect. I mean the way we do it. I'm I'm diametrically opposed to how he does it. Hmm. Uh, I am a director and Tony Scott is a selector. Hmm. All right. I shoot with one camera and that's it. All right. One camera. I don't want another camera there catching a sloppy angle just for so I have more footage. Every shot you see in one of my movies was composed by me. Every single if it's a shot of a spoon or a, a, a close up or an over the shoulder. I framed it. I put it down there. I gave them the OK on the frame and we shot it. Um, you know, and I don't want another camera in there just kidding, crapping, getting sloppy footage. Everything you see, I, you know, I painted that picture. Yeah. All right. Now, Tony does not do that. Tony has, will set up a scene and it might take hours to set it up, but you'll have six cameras going on every single scene. Denzel called him nine camera Tony. Yeah. Yeah. Six. Yeah. Nine, yeah. 12, yeah. Right. whatever. And this, God knows how many. There's always camera. You know, every time you see a helicopter, it's shooting something. Yeah. Right? yeah. There's, there's cameramen shooting in every every single helicopter shot you, you watch in this movie. All right. And you're seeing the footage in it. Yeah. Uh, um. And the fact that he was able to actually get his helicopter camera helicopter into the movie <laughs> and actually have it become one of the most exciting elements of the film is is kind of amazing. But the thing about it though is, uh, and, and, and then you know, and he's also doing it though. And again, this happened uh, along the way as it, as as he moved on, where like, well, now one of those cameras is sixteen. <laughs> And now one of those cameras has, you know, it was built in the 40s, so it has this weird frame rate going on, yeah. you know, or a weird piece of film, or this one has a weird filter on it, or, uh, 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 okay, now we're going to bleach the shit out of uh, uh, this one, or do this to the film, or do that to the film. So it's all this weird kind of stuff. And, uh, and so he gets all that footage, and he makes this mosaic out of it. And it was one of the reasons you get some of those wild Tony Scott inserts is because it's always kind of moving around, you can, you know, camera seven is framed for a, a medium or a medium close-up on a, a profile of some dude, all right? But he doesn't just stand still through the whole damn scene. So then he goes in and out of the frame and in and out of the frame, and now maybe, like, it's shooting something weird, and, and you just see his hand, yeah. you know, come into the frame. But now, but that all, all is all connected to the, So he can just, just cut to the hand, <laughs> emphasizing the word train, right? <laughs> and, you know, and he's created a cutting cell that makes that acceptable. Who, who the hell would... would frame that shot yeah but he gets it in his capturing of it so i mean literally he is the exact I mean, uh, he's the exact opposite of what i think of myself as a director but he but one there is there is a method to what he does there is an artistry to what he does it is how he sees it and and he's and he's just and now everyone does it but to me they do it sloppy and yeah. he did it in like a true artist so tony scott said about denzel out of the five movies, Denzel gives me a different aspect of his personality. Always something different inside of him. Um, he manages to pull out a different aspect. On Pelham, he was the guy next door out of his death. Then you look at Man on Fire. He was this capable but complicated CIA agent. He's able to never repeat himself. Yeah. And I was thinking about those five movies. It is true. It's yeah. five different Denzels yeah. in the five no, movies. No, it's like in, in Crimson Tide, he's like Gregory Peck. Yeah. He's like, you know, like he's right. like this like really fucking movie star because like yeah, yeah. you gotta think about how hard it is to go up against Hackman and have everybody in the theater rooting for you right, right? yeah yeah and that's that's like what he does in that but then like 
in in Man on Fire, he's practically like Lee Marvin or something yeah, yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, like uh-huh. he goes like he runs the entire spectrum of like. No, he's he's the you know he he's the weapon. Yeah, he's you know a, a disillusioned weapon. Yeah, <laughs> Denzel said. I love working for Tony because it's like, damn, you can't outwork this guy. I'll be there at 4 a.m. and find out Tony's already been there for seven hours. <laughs> and I'm like, that means he never left. But it just seems like they clicked. Yeah. Who who have you clicked with? Like, the, like, Is there one actor you clicked with like this where you're just like, oh, that's the one? Uh, well, I have a, I have a few. Oh, you must I, have a few. Yeah, I have a few. I mean, look, I mean, like, you know, the, I mean, the— um, I mean, the two actors I'm probably the most known for working with is uh, Samuel Jackson and, and Christoph Waltz. Yeah, and like, and I, I've, I've definitely clicked with those two. But again, even that's a little slightly different situation because it's how they say my dialogue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now you know, and I, you know, and uh, um, Christoph is a little easier to work with than Sam. All right, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, um, uh, but uh, uh, <laughs> that's not saying much. <laughs> uh, uh, but the th- you know, but uh, having said that, though, there's also uh, uh, actors that you know I've. I, I could work with uh, Kurt Russell and everything. All right, just the the how how much fun he is on the set, yeah. how how uh, how much I dig him, how much I love what he brings, how much I, I love our simpatico energies when we shoot the the conversation, the the bullshit conversation we have in between takes. I mean, just everything about it is just great and fun. Yeah, and you know, and to you know, and to some degree, you know, and to some degree, uh, uh, Tim Roth is like that. Sure, you know, with me, that's cool. Well. One of them said, we find people in the real world and make sure we're on the same page with each other and with them. I think that was Tony Scott said that. So mm-hmm. I, I didn't realize that Denzel, because I, I could imagine he's probably had directors that either he's overpowered or mm-hmm. he just didn't like that much. But for some reason. Well, look, Denzel is one of those guys, you know, where it's like, you know, he doesn't suffer fools gladly. If at all, mm-hmm. frankly, right. you know, and um, and he's worked with the. I truly think that Denzel Washington is, for my generation of actors, he is our Paul Newman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, and like Paul Newman, he worked with the complete gamut of of, of Hollywood and British uh, uh, directors. In so far as the uh, the middle of the road guys, the art guys, uh, the studio dudes, uh, the journeymen, the young people coming up, mm-hmm. all right, who have just did a couple of earlier things and now they're doing this. You know, guys that are like uh, a little older, past their prime, working with him. I mean, like Lily, the whole array. You know, that's and that's a, that's what a star does. Yeah, you know. And so I they, like that analogy, Paul Newman, Denzel. So who's mm-hmm. who's this generation's version? I th- I still think it's Paul. I still think it stands to watch it. Double generation. Yeah, I don't think nobody. I don't think anybody's. Uh, uh, if, if there's somebody who's dethroned him in the Paul Newman, well, I guess if there's no, if there's somebody who's dethroned him in the Paul Newman world, I don't know who it is. I mean, is he's anybody? later. He's later Paul Newman. Yeah, you know, he's very yeah. Paul Newman. Denzel, he's like LeBron. He just he just <laughs> won't go away. Uh, the budget was somewhere between eighty-five to one hundred million for Unstoppable. Made one sixty-seven. Roger Ebert. Three and a half stars out of four. All right, Raj. Yeah. He said in his review, in terms of sheer craftsmanship, this is a superb film. That Raj is back. Hey, no, no, that's my that 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 is exactly where I'm coming from. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is, it's it's craftsmanship as art. Yes. The only other thing I want to mention before we get to the category. And movie craftsmanship as art. Yeah. That's an important aspect about it. This is such an obvious. 1998 to 2002 Matt Damon part, the Chris Pine part. <laughs> Matt Damon's just has to be in this movie basically for the first five years he's a star, but then he became Matt Damon and it would be weird. Now, I and actually, now you have the Chris Pine. I don't know who it would be now if you made this movie in 2019. 
So the guy's got to be a little younger, right? Mm-hmm. Could be mid late twenties. I, mean, I buy what you're saying about Matt Damon. When I was watching it, I was saying, "Oh, this is a this is a Christian Slater part from the '90s." Yeah, that's another good one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So who would that be now, Chris? I mean, you could make a run at Teller. Like I could Teller. See, Teller's got kind of like the beaten up face. He's from that area. He's from Philly, that Philadelphia area. So I could see him doing the Chris Pine part. Getting kind of like annoyed that he was being told what to do by the older guys. He's got to have the retirement home line. Well, you know, let, let me stop talking about Denzel and Tony for a second because actually one of the things I like about this movie, and to me this, no, I won't say that. That I won't get ahead of ourselves. All right, but. It's good. I, I'm, I'm glad you're obeying the rewatch. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. I know. It's I know. good job by you. Yeah. yeah. Um, but to give you maybe a, a sneak preview of where we're going to go with this later, I think one of the things that's exciting about the movie is I am a huge Chris Pine fan. I'm, to me, of of the actors of his age, he's hands down my favorite mm. of that group. Okay, of that group of that era. All right, of those guys, he's just he, he's hands down uh, my favorite. And the thing is, I saw you know when I saw him in the in the Star Trek movie as Captain Kirk, I thought, well, he's making this movie. I mean, I'm I'm all aboard, literally. Yeah. <laughs> all right. And then um, it was so exciting to see him in this, to see him get the t- Tony Scott treatment. Yeah. Okay. Because like, like he he needed that to actually make him a movie star in my eyes. All right. And and he got the Tony Scott Scott treatment. He got the he got that that uh, the way it's shot and the way it's lit and the way the the, the film looks and the heroic stuff in it. Get to and, jump from the fucking truck, man. Yeah. Yeah. Gets, yeah <laughs> get, but you know, it's, but it's just the way he's filmed. He's filmed like a movie star, and he looks at it, he 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 soak he soaks in those colors. Yeah. He soaks in the, that lighting. He soaks in the costumes. You know, and he completely holds his own with Denzel. And it's just like that's what he needed to make him a movie star. And frankly, to tell you the truth, I don't think he's had, he, he's been good in other movies, but he hasn't had that. Yeah. You know, he said it's a Christian Slater part, which I, I agree with, but that makes me think, could Chris Pine have, in a time machine have been in True Romance? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he could have been. He probably yeah. could have been, he right? Been. Like 2000. All right, we're doing the categories. Let's take a break to talk about Pepsi. With the new year officially here and everyone vowing to restrictive resolutions, Pepsi wants to usher in the new decade a bit differently by encouraging everyone to unapologetically do what you enjoy, even in the face of others' judgment. So Pepsi encourages you to let loose, be yourself, and live your life like nobody's watching. For instance, you know what I like? I like horror movies. I don't even care if they're that good. I'll watch The Haunting of of Sharon Tate. I'll watch Ma. I'll watch Boo, exclamation point. Watch that one over the holiday break. I'll watch Happy Death Day too. I just like horror movies. My whole family does. Most of them are bad. You know what? I don't care. I enjoy them. I don't really care what you say. And as Pepsi would, would encourage me to let loose, be myself, and live my life like nobody's watching, I'm glad nobody's watching as I'm watching all of these terrible horror movies, but that's just who I am. Pepsi. That's what I like. Most rewatchable. Here's what I got. Feel free to throw one in after uh, we do this. First one, Ethan Suppley. What's his character's name? Yeah. Does it matter? Dewey. When, Dewey. Yeah. Dewey. When Dewey loses the train. Come on, get back on. Do it. Better get back on. Bye. I'm on it. I'm on it. Dewey's got the philosophy going. You can yeah. see it coming. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, why can't they stop it? And it's just a band they of idiots. They do a really good job. Like, Because like, if you try to explain to somebody, well, these two guys lose the train. 
And you're like, what What are you talking about? No, like, come on. And it's like, oh, my God. They really lost the train. The battery goes out. Yeah, like, yeah. he's trying to catch up with it. He falls. He's an idiot, but he's not a movie idiot. That's yeah. the yeah. kind of thing a real idiot right. could do. Yes. But a real idiot. Yeah. Not a movie idiot. <laughs> he does that in Enemy of the State. You have the guys who are doing the surveillance, like Seth Green. Yeah. And they're, they're movie dicks, but yeah, yeah, yeah. they're actually just good dicks. Yeah, I actually think those guys almost steal the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're right, really good. <laughs> but he has a way yeah. of grabbing these fringe characters. And But anyway, that's a big scene. Mm-hmm. The train almost hits a horse. Oh, yeah. I mean, unfucking It seems real. like it's in play, too, which yeah. I think he's created this movie where it's like, Oh man, they're gonna take out the horse. So There's, you're hopping, so you're no. so you're just leaping right over the children, right, <laughs> right, right to the horse. Yeah. I've seen children, man, and horses. Well, that's the thing. It's like you know they can't kill the kids. Yeah, but yeah. there's like a one in the ten chance in the horse is done. Yeah, I know that. I know the kids aren't. But there's that shot from inside the horse trailer where it's oh, a guy yeah. with two horses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the fucking train is coming down the tracks. I sent you that screenshot the <laughs> yeah, other night. Yeah, yeah. Where I was just like, holy shit, man. Yeah, like, yeah. did they, how did he even do that? Oh, I know. I mean, I, I mean, uh, I mean, some of the most exciting, ang- you know, exciting images in this movie is the, you know, is that whole aftermath of the train going past the oh, horses. Yeah. All right. So when they finally get the horses off and the train's going and all the shit's in the air the and the horses are flipping yeah. out and yeah. the guys are fighting the horses. <laughs> Let's be honest. And if he's making this movie in like 1990, the horse is going down. He's taking the horse out. I mean, he had a running back kill himself That's in the true. opening scene of That's Last Boy Scout. He's taking out the horse. You got I soft. think there's some things that you don't do as your own Never peril. at any point. Uh, yeah, 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 if, if you're going to kill a dog, you're going to kill... Unless the whole, unless you're John Wick and the whole movie's now going to be about you getting revenge for the dog. Good point. Uh, next one. When they plant the car in front of the train and it goes badly and it derails and it blows up. And it's the mm-hmm. first time you start thinking like, oh, this train's going to take out an entire town. Holy shit. Maybe it derailed. Wow, I can't believe how crazy that was. Oh my God, Galvin, you asshole! Let me talk about that scene for a little bit. Go ahead. One one thing that's really great about that scene, that's Galvin's big move. Yeah. And it's actually, and I don't think I noticed this the first few times, all right, watching it this time. Um... We're hopping back and forth between his boardroom talking about what they're going to do and Rosario Dawson talking with her people about what they should do. And then Galvin comes up with a plan and you expect him to explain the plan and you expect that you're going to have a scene where he's going to explain it to Rosario Dawson. She goes, what are you crazy? But they actually don't do that. Yeah. All right. They, they set up that there is a plan. He goes, well, we got a plan and we're putting it into action right now. Right. We, we got this. And it's really kind of cool that there's no explanation. We watch Galvin's plan take shape before our eyes. It's yes. never told to us. And yeah. we you just see the guy it. hanging out. Wait a minute, is that, is, that, is, is that our guy in the helicopter? Yeah. You know, uh, we're, we're, we're putting it together. And, the cool, and it's actually a good plan. The yeah. cool that thing could have worked. The guys in the train, like like Denzel and, and Pine, don't know. Yeah. Like the flow of information is really great in this movie because yeah. we get to see everything. We get to see the TV broadcast and we get to see Ned driving along and Galvin and Connie. Yeah. But the guys in the train are like, who was driving the train? Yeah. Who, like, they're like, yeah. what, what happened? Oh, no, we keep getting caught. Uh, we keep getting caught unawares of how little they know. Yeah. yeah. Every time yeah. we go back to them. <laughs> Next one, Will, when he's trying to attach the train and he falls and he gets hurt and the whole thing. Mm-hmm. This is a really incredible scene because Chris Pine's doing the stunt. Yeah. And I don't, and there's no CGI and it really feels real. And I don't know how he did this, but as you're watching, you're like, 
I'm worried for Chris Pine. Yeah, yeah. As much as the app. I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> I'm sure he, he has some. I'm sure, I'm sure he has like a cable. Yeah, I'm sure he has the wires, yeah, but yeah, they yeah, they yeah, made yeah. they made me nervous for him. Yeah. In an unusual way, which I feel like with the way we do CGI now, I don't get nervous like well, it's that. What's all those long shots too of like you can see the trees going by in the yeah. background? Like, oh yeah, it's yeah. Pretty hard to like, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, the hair. I mean, everything. Yeah. It's like you know, boom. And then when he hurts his foot. It's like a realistic movie injury where it's like, oh, that looks like that hurt. And then he's yeah. like, yeah, he he should be limping. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I mean, I mean, frankly, I mean, it's kind of a brutal line is when uh, uh, Denzel Washington's talking to uh, Rosario Dawson and uh, she goes, is he OK? And he goes, he's uh, he's different. Over. <laughs> wow, that's that's not even funny. That yeah, actually kind of hurts. I know. Right? Like, yeah. That's kind of cane. Next one. The train. Heading toward the big turn. Frank, we're gonna rip right off. Got no choice. Toward the S, the, the S curve. The turn yeah. that, for whatever reason, just happens to have a whole bunch of nuclear reactors <laughs> right like next it, to it. It's it's like like it's the worst city planning <laughs> in like an America. <laughs> I don't want to step on the nitpicks, but w- what are they doing with this? It was like written by like the Austin Powers villain. It's yeah, like, seriously. What if we put like gasoline tanks next to the tree? If you're going to use that as uh, the picky nits, okay, I have a defense. It's ridiculous. All right, but <laughs> we'll I have- We'll I, save it for Yeah, yeah I'll have a defense for that though. I don't think it's a nitpick. So it's all about going around this turn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is shades, going- shades of speed, trying to go off the yeah, ramp yeah, yeah, and yeah, stay yeah. in 55, which I always enjoy. I was like, nah, we're not going to be able to do this. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, well, but one of the things about great about that scene, though, is, well, one, it's like the big action. You know, it's like, this is what they really got to do. Or they got to pull this off. or you know, you know, We'll figure out how we're going to stop the train later. <laughs> you know, right, or these yeah. guys are going to die. But this is the thing that will stop untold how many people dying from right. radioactive poisoning. Uh, um, <laughs> but uh, they got to do that. But not only is it the execution of the action, by that point in time, he's done such a fantastic scene of all these pockets of characters watching it, mm-hmm. watching it on TV. And you buy the fact that everything we're seeing is being televised and there. And so the, the cross-cutting between the engineers at the shop watching and rooting them on, yeah. and then Rosaria Dawson and her people watching and rooting them on, and <laughs> Denzel Washington's uh, daughters at Hooters. I was, was going to say, I was waiting for you to say that part. <laughs> you know, and her, the bars watching it and the rooting of all and his, his, you know, his uh, Pine's wife is watching. He's just in her little room with her son, yeah. you know, clutching him, watching. And all these pockets watching them do this. And is this going to work? And then when it starts, finally does working, and them cheering them on. Yeah. And, and but I mean, that actually ends up being emotional. Yeah. It's it's you know, uh, and there's something so emotional about you know the big masculine. Engineers, like, you, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, cheer, you know, cheering them on. What, what, what's the Denzel Washington's character's name? Uh, Frank Barnes. Yeah, go Frank. Yeah, yeah, yeah Frank. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also always a big fan of the of when it's a bus or a train or whatever. Yeah, yeah. When it's tilting, and yes. It's like Speed did that really yeah, well yeah, too. Yeah, where yeah. it's like, oh man, that thing might tip over. But yeah, yeah. It hangs on. But we're like nobody knows enough about trains to be like, maybe that could happen. I don't know. <laughs> right. It's yeah, like yeah. with buses, I'm like, I don't know if you can hit 55 <laughs> going up this ramp. But yeah, like, <laughs> you know, with trains, it's like I believe it. I wrote down for that one. The train makes it around the turn as everyone at Hooters celebrates. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then the uh, the last one, Will jumps out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And back onto the train, mm-hmm. which. 
I realized Fast and Furious, which is mm-hmm. one of my favorite mm-hmm. movie franchises, mm-hmm. has desensitized me for the jumping from a car onto yeah, yeah, moving. Yeah, yeah. They make it seem so seamless. Mm-hmm. You, well, you know what's and great about like, that? Oh, is, yeah, this would actually be really scary to do. Oh, it's hell yeah. actually the Dewey run in the beginning because you yeah. get to see how hard it would be. Even yeah. though it's for somebody who's obviously a little bit like mm-hmm. like more out of shape than Chris Pine's character, mm-hmm. yeah. you actually see like where it's moving. You're like, oh, he could catch this. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, no, wait, actually, that'd be pretty hard. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, he holds it, but he's about to, and then like when the T.J. Miller character gets the door knocked off of the truck, it's like, yeah, yeah. this is fucking dangerous what yeah, he's trying yeah. to do. It's really tough. So, Absolutely. and that leads to, so I'm picking this for a most rewatchable scene, but that leads to Denzel who has already tried to make the run. He's mm-hmm. still on the train halfway down, standing on top of it mm-hmm. with the yeah. arms up, yeah. which is like mm-hmm. the Tony Car- Tony Scott staple of, he mm-hmm. has a way of like these little images mm-hmm. that after you see the movie, you still have the image in your okay. head. And for me, the yeah, image yeah, of this yeah, movie is yeah. Denzel of the Santa. One of the movies that Tony was influenced by is uh, the movie Runaway Train. And uh, now, Eric Roberts. Yeah, uh, Eric Roberts and John Voight. Now, they're different movies because Runaway Train, while it takes place on a runaway train, isn't about a runaway train. It's about yeah. these convicts trying to escape the prison. Um, and it's a very cynical movie. And it, the, the interesting flip is the train isn't really a character in Runaway Train, where the train is absolutely a character sure. in, in this movie. But that image of, of Denzel is kind of taken from uh, – it's a it's a big John Voight moment at the oh, end. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, he's on the roof, and it's, it's freezing, and it's, it's going to <laughs> the, his own oblivion, and he's like, yeah. <laughs> uh, what's most rewatchable for you? I got to I gotta go with the Ryan Judd chopper attempt to, to stop the train with mm-hmm. the kid hanging out. There's a shot in that sequence where – I think I counted two trains, three choppers, and a fleet of fire trucks, police cars, and a pickup truck in the same frame. Yeah. And it's like his camera is going over, but then you can see the train that the, the one guy is trying to get in front of it is there. Mm-hmm. Then there's the 777 behind it. Then this fucking kid hanging out of a helicopter. Then two other helicopters mm-hmm. just flying around there. I just was like, my eyebrows got singed watching that. That was That's my favorite sequence. What do you have, Quinn? Well, my favorite shot in the movie is in the, uh, um, and that's a saying something because there's a lot of great shots in this movie. My favorite shot in the movie is in the Chris Pine trying to uh, uh, lock the connector together. Uh, but uh, when it comes- Like when the grain explodes? No, well, yeah, it's, it's, it's the shot when the grain explodes and they're getting pelted by corn or whatever that is. Uh, and then the helicopter literally gets parallel. <laughs> All right, yeah. with the train, yeah. and it's like him and the corn, <laughs> and, you know, a corn storm, like something out of Days of Heaven. All right, and uh, the helicopter right there. I mean, that's something straight out of Apocalypse Now. Yeah, right, right, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah that's a good. One. Uh, but 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 that's a shot. I think when it comes to the most rewatchable scene, I think it has to be uh, um, Ned. Arriving at the end. Yeah. All right. Uh, it's so thrilling. It's so exciting. Ned arriving at the end in his red truck and then uh, Chris Pine jumping in and then getting Ned, uh, and getting Chris Pine to the front. I, that was like whiplash. Yeah. yeah. Exciting. Yeah. <laughs> when it comes to endings. Yeah. <laughs> What's age the best? I have a couple of things. Bald Denzel. Mm-hmm. I was like when he goes bald. <laughs> but Bald Denzel is as the guy... He's kind of an asshole who knows everything, but Denzel is one of the only actors who can pull this off where it's like, what's your character? He's kind of an asshole. He knows everything. He's a know-it-all. He's just going to be a little bit yeah. condescending. Normally, I don't like that person, but when it's Denzel, it's like totally fine. It's like, oh, Denzel's doing it. Denzel has all the answers. I mean, um, Ethan Supley and TJ Miller as the fuck-up comic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, TJ Miller, no, yeah. 
no long hair, no yeah, mustache. Yeah. Does seems like a different guy from Silicon Valley, but uh, I thought they were great. I like the uh, the evil guys who we only see briefly mm-hmm. as they're deciding what to do with the train. Oh, they're the all guy playing the golf, golf course. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> What's the most evil thing these What's guys the can do? Put them at a golf course. Yeah, yeah. I also, but you know, I I would say something that has aged fantastic about the movie is the financial politics. Mm-hmm. Of uh, the breakdown between the engineers oh, yeah. going on, where it's uh, when like Saturday Night Live did a takeoff on um, uh, Unstoppable when it came out with a, a takeoff on the trailer, and they killed it. It was very very funny their takeoff, um, and they're hitting on what should be and what you would imagine from the movie would be the cliche of the film, you know, of uh, Denzel Washington screaming at uh, Chris Pine, "You're too young, yeah, right. <laughs> you're yeah, too yeah. old." All right, so that's why they don't like each other. You know, old timer doesn't like the rookie. Well, there's a whole other aspect to that, yeah. all right, that actually, I think, hits home stronger now than it did then of the fact that, no, the train company doesn't want these guys they've been paying for 30 years whose, whose salaries have gotten up to, as far as they're concerned, the moon. So let's let's retire these guys that we have to pay through the nose for that have all this experience, yeah. and let's hire these rookies and teach them what they're doing. We can pay them at a rookie pay grade. Yeah, and that's what's all. That's the entire conflict is about, and it's what's so, it's so great because he gets uh-huh. to say when he's like, "You're fired." He's like, "You already fired me." Yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. such a great I have eighteen reveal. days left. Yeah, yeah. and then and then and, and the fact that like I mean that would have been the easiest thing in the world to do. Again, when I talk about storytelling about how this is all telling telling a story, is uh, it would have been the easiest thing in the world to do for like uh, you see Denzel get ready. Uh, for work and then leave home. And then, uh, and then you'd see, uh, uh, the, uh, the notice that he got mm-hmm. that he, uh, that he's going to be retired in however long it was. Okay. Uh, 150 days or, or hundred days or whatever it was. And he's seven of 70 of them are gone. I mean, it could even, and you know, and actually I think this would be corny, but actually Tony and Denzel could have totally pulled it off. Cause they're the kind of iconic guys that could do this. He could even, you know, uh, uh, maybe, he does a hash mark on his wall. Yeah. All right. right. Day 70. Or maybe he does. the calendar. Yeah, yeah. Or, maybe, yeah. or maybe he did. Well, you want to see all 70 of them. Or maybe it's uh, you see him opening his uh, locker. All right. At the uh, at the train station. And he has a, a Sharpie. And there's 70 marks on there. Boom. All yeah. right. You know, and that's what he does every day until I do my last one. And the, we and we get it. But no, that's not how they do it. All right. We understand the political. We understand the, the, the wage gap dynamic between them and the hierarchy of what's going on a little bit from uh, Judd mm-hmm. talking about it. But you don't really realize that, it, that it's affecting Denzel until the middle of the movie. And that's when Chris Pine's character realizes, oh, this is... This is right. what this is about. That, wasn't, age, that yeah. wasn't a rhetorical argument yeah. right, that Denzel yeah. was giving me. Yeah. Well, that ties into another What's Age the Best for me. It's really hard to pull off when it goes badly in an action movie. Mm-hmm. And they try to pull the, all right, here's, let's have a scene where the two characters try to connect in some way. Yeah. And it almost always goes badly. It's so. In this movie, it's like, it really does feel like every, every sentence they say to each other feels authentic to me. Yeah. The, the, one of my favorite moments in the movie is when Denzel decides he's going to go try to catch it from behind. Yeah. 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 And he says, are you in or are you out? You want to get yourself killed? You do it alone. You know what? Ask your wife what she thinks. Wait. And it's just like, ask your wife or like, ask your wife if you should go. Like, basically, like, you're going to save your wife's life or not. Yeah, yeah, Because if yeah, I yeah. don't get catch this thing, you're like, everybody's dead. Yeah. And he gets back. It's such a perfect, they don't overdo it. Mm-hmm. It's just like, just enough to know what's going on. 
Yeah, because normally when it goes wrong, it's something like, so you're a big Browns fan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you like, and, they, and it's, it's just awkward, and they well, throw I mean, away a minute of it. I mean, it's funny because actually compared to uh, the taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3, which the, is almost like all about how good the dialogue is, you know, until the end of the movie, all mm-hmm. right, you know? And by the way, I don't like the end of any of the taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3 movies. Yeah. They all, <laughs> n- none of them work as far as I'm concerned. That really was about really terrific dialogue. And so, and, but frankly, in a movie that's not really about dialogue, their dialogue is pretty good. really terrific. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's really good. Yeah. And it's also really functional. Yeah. And you buy it. And again, like what you were saying about, uh, you know, that Bull Durham thing, all right? Yeah, yeah. They, they keep talking train stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you it's understand true. about the, you know, all of a sudden now the five extra cars is a big deal. And he's, he's like, I'm going to green sheet you. And he's like, oh, don't green sheet him. Oh, my God. Why did he get green sheet Denzel? I also think that to, to this point, the characterizations are actually pretty... Uh, nuanced. Mm-hmm. Like you've got Denzel, like in in a stupider version of this movie, it's like Denzel's got one daughter who he's long fallen out with. Yeah, yeah. And then he would call her. Who and blames like, him for the divorce? Yeah, or, yeah like yeah, that's yeah. why I'm working at Hooters is because of you or something like yeah, that. Yeah. But it's a pretty normal, like, hey, they're just working at Hooters to work their way through college. And then on the flip side, mm-hmm. it's like Chris Pine's relationship to his wife is pretty complicated. Yeah, yeah. They get We're getting that. into that. What yeah. stage is the worst? Uh-huh. I also have Denzel's one rule. I only got one rule. One rule only. You're going to do something, you do it right. You don't know how to do it, you ask me, all right? Likewise, if you need anything from me, you better speak up because uh, you're the conductor. Once we get out freight, it's your train. I'm just the guy driving it. Yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> it's actually not like not the worst rule in the world yeah. for somebody who's in church. Mm-hmm. What else do you have for what's age the best? Anything? So I, this kind of goes to what Quentin was saying about all the people watching. Mm-hmm. But I was trying to think of a fun name for this. I think this is like a mission control movie because mm-hmm. some of my favorite stuff is the Rosario stuff. Yeah, uh-huh. mm. And the way she's kind of like moving from, get this guy on the phone. Wait, you, come in here. Like, mm-hmm. make sure these kids are out of the so way. No, no, no. Tell him I'll call him back. Get me Galvin now. Yeah, have to call Frank, you that train's carrying 30,000 gallons of toxic chemicals. They had a window before, but that train's going into populated areas. There's no way they derail it now. And it's yeah, very yeah. like... Ed Harris and Apollo 13 or mm-hmm. like, you know, like Armageddon does it really well. I'm sure there's like, I always think about Hunt for October yeah, yeah. when they're like, well, everybody's like watching it on the screen. War, War Games was a good yeah, one. Yeah, like and it's that just too. like, that's such a cool, like. But then, you know, but then this is the Tony Scott version, which it's a little funky. It's a yeah. little, it's a little loosier and goosier. So, so then all of a sudden Kevin Corrigan yes. starts like, you know, the guy who's not supposed to be there yeah. actually has this interesting information. Yeah. So it's not just all these people. All right. Now he's interjecting. <laughs> yeah. Right. And no one wants to hear it until finally, well, maybe we're not listening at our own peril, all yes. right? And even when you think Denzel is just blowing him off, okay, what about this guy? <laughs> <laughs> well, in a perfect world. Any other, <laughs> any other what's age the best for you? Uh, okay, I say, I promise I won't say this for the next couple of times I ever do this. Okay. All right, but I am going to say what age, one of the, what age the best that I used for Dunkirk. Uh-huh. And I won't try to use this as a cliche. <laughs> The mastery of Tony Scott when you watch uh, sure. this movie, Unstoppable. As you watch it again, and you then maybe you know, see it for three years, four years, you watch it again. Wow. I mean, just his style. I mean, it just it gets better and better and better and more right there and, and just more secure. And you and you and every time every time you see it, you see another level that how the movie's working. The fact that it's his last movie definitely adds a different weight to this movie. Mm-hmm. That I was thinking about when I when I yeah. was rewatching it, like, man, this was if this is somebody's last movie, this is a nice one. 
I, I, I have on. a little collection of great last movies. And by the way, there's not that many of them. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. Uh, uh, so what do you think the greatest last movie is? Uh, so I don't even know what that list looks like. Yeah, it's like uh, I've 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 because uh, usually it goes badly at the end. It's like, yeah, yeah, no, it's I mean, like the, sports. No, the last four or five years is usually kind of a write off. Actually, three of my three of my favorites are uh, um, terrific director named Phil Carlson, or he did Walking Tall amongst other movies, but mm. he did a lot of films in the fifties and sixties, and he was really yeah. good. And his last movie is a film called Framed with Joe Don Baker. All right, and it's kind oh, of wow. his follow up to uh, Walking Tall, except it's a different movie, and it's uh, it's very similar to the Brian Keith movies that he used to make in the fifties. And it's it's just terrific. And I'm also a huge fan of Joseph von Sternberg's last movie, the that uh, the the uh, the saga of Anthema, okay. which is like this Japanese movie he made, huh. and that and it's a uh, it's this whole Japanese story that he tells, and he narrates the whole damn thing. Joseph von Sternberg, no way, <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of an it's an amazing it's an amazing movie. Uh, but one of the things though, just uh, just uh, just to hit on this Tony Scott mastery of his storytelling style and his visuals, is. Um, I didn't know this, but I buy it when you told me that um, Nolan, Christopher Nolan, mm-hmm. watched Unstoppable when he was planning Dunkirk. Is that right. true? Mm-hmm. It was one of the movies he screened, yeah. Yeah. And and you can see it. Yeah. You, can, you can totally see it. Uh, um, but you can tell that one of the movies that Tony Scott watched while preparing this movie was Apocalypse Now. Mm-hmm. And in particular, the entire, not, not just the Ride of the Valkyrie sequence with uh uh, you know, the, the raid, the right of Valkyrie uh, raid with Robert Duvall, but the entire Robert Duvall sequence, or even at night when they're on their little uh, uh, surfing uh, yeah. uh, hoedown, you know, uh, yeah. playing the guitars and stuff. Because one of the things that Coppola realized, you know, much to his chagrin, and since, especially since he was paying for the movie, really much to his chagrin, that after they created this environment with the helicopters after the raid, that... If the helicopter, if, if every time we were there, if there's not helicopters flying in the air in the shot, then the whole thing falls apart. Yeah. It all dies. He's created a visual motif that he cannot stop. Right. He literally, it, it loses 40% of whatever energy that it had. So he, so he had to orchestrate helicopters flying through every single shot until, until they leave, yeah. until they officially get in the boat and leave and go down the river. There always has to orchestrate helicopter shots in there. And Tony does that. Once the train gets going and once the, you know, once everyone figures out what's going on, all right, you know, every shot has helicopters. Now, I took a little bit of that when I did the uh, uh, Spawn Ranch scene in Once Upon a Time in in Hollywood where it's like, okay, if we're at Spawn Ranch and once we're in Spawn, once we're looking at the ranch, we see anything, I have to have at least one or two dog crossings. <laughs> I had to keep the dogs moving, all right? If we're shooting, even if it's Brad Pitt's on the other side of the uh, uh, the screen door in the house, I, we gotta have dog crossings going on in the background. If wherever a spawn rants, any shot has to have some dogs doing something. No shit. Yeah. He's like, get those dogs moving! <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it, it's one of the back! It was a lot easier to do than orchestrate <laughs> helicopters <laughs> fly, flying through frame. All right. But it was, but it was like, it was keeping it alive. Yeah. It kept, it kept the ranch alive. Yeah. It kept the vibe of the ranch alive. It kept it moving and running and going. Was that the hardest scene to shoot? No, no, not necessarily. That was actually kind of easy to shoot, frankly. Yeah. Shoot. yeah. Right. What stage the worst? I got one. Do you want to start with Chris Pine's re- restraining order story? <laughs> or just... 
everything about his ex-wife, about Darcy? son of ex-wife uh, Darcy, and <laughs> what she's doing in this movie. I was going to start with just, I think, railway, railway safety field trips have aged the worst. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's like, a, as a society, we got it. Be careful around trains. No need to put kids on trains when there's also <laughs> chemical trains going by. Yeah, yeah. Good point. I could go for that. <laughs> I'm down with that as well. Uh, well, I have no problem with that. I, I think the Chris Pine, uh, uh, I, I obviously have no problem with the Chris Pine backstory because I wow, that actually sounds like a real backstory. All right. That actually sounds like something oh, that could, that, that's actually sounds like something that could happen. That's, the, that's the kind of shit that real people get into. All right. That is, you know, that, that's not some movie thing of, well, oh, my sister, my this, or my that, or, you know, that's no, that actually sounds like a very specific incident that completely got out of control. Right. Unfortunately, it leads to her inexplicably showing up at the end and every, everything is for okay. It's just like every other town yeah. along the way, they're like, we got to get Arklow. We got to evacuate well, this wait, place. Wait, wait, wait. You guys are going to Nikki Pick. <laughs> yeah, all right. Okay, yeah. That is, yeah. Uh, Picking just in general, Darcy, I didn't I didn't really understand her motivation in this movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. She was out on Chris Chris Pine, but he was going to die. So now they're back in and they're going to get back together. I mean, together. frankly, to tell you the truth, if, if, you know, like, if my wife showed up with a gun at a policewoman who was paying me too much attention, I'd be a flatter. <laughs> Uh, My husband pulls a gun on a cop <laughs> for me. I have for what stage is the worst uh, flip phones. Yeah, it was weird. See, just it's always weird for me now seeing a flip phone. There's this specific. Era I have of a flip movies. phone. I didn't. I didn't you bring it with me. Them? Yeah, that's the only thing I, I would really have. enjoy. Also, that I would actually is... bring if I have it in my pocket. I would bring it out right now, and that would shut you down. <laughs> yeah. I'm always so used to seeing iPhones at this point. So, oh my god! Well, that's my favorite part about like the Darcy bit where she's texting the other guy. He's yeah. like, you know, I caught her texting. And it's like, what was she texting? Like three, 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 four, four, five, six, <laughs> three, three, two, two. Because <laughs> you had to do like the T nine right. texting. And it's like she wouldn't be able to be too. I, like I had entire relationships with people on phones like that. What are you talking about? You're thinking like it's impossible. Still, <laughs> do you really still have a flip phone? I, well, I would never have one of those iPhones or anything like that. Yeah, if I have a phone at all. It's a flip phone, but I mean, I never have it. But I, if I, but, but the one thing I do have is a flip phone. I have, I, uh, I own one. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I have Denzel's daughters working at Hooters as a what's age the worst. That's what's age the only, best. Oh my God. Only for this reason. No, I'm in on them working with the Hooters. <laughs> it's just, I think in 2019, the whole Hooters thing, it seems like it's. I haven't gone been to a Hooters a since dated. 2013. Yeah. Okay. You know what? Okay. Well, uh, uh, well. They haven't gone away. They're still there. I think they're still the big one it's in on Vegas. The, it's on everything. the tail end. I, I would, I'll buy that it's on the tail end, but that doesn't bother me because no. I mean, like, I mean, you know, it's like there is that Hooters aspect to it, but they could be hot dog on a stick. Yeah. And then I'd be down with them wearing the hot dog on a stick outfits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's about the outfits. All right? still, it's just funny watching Hooters? them in the outfits. It is. They, they got rid of the one in Hollywood. And there was it, one it downtown. It seems like it's going. I think I think you're, I think it's your you're you're right. It's on the it's on it's on the out. But I don't think that's a bad thing. One puts it in its own it's time. Just a category. But what's age the worst? Yeah, but also <laughs> age poorly. Well, but, well, well, worse is a loaded word. All right, <laughs> worse, <laughs> worse is not what's aged differently. <laughs> one thing I think it's cool about the flip phone thing. Just to, before we move on, is that there? If you made this movie now. Everybody would be streaming it from their phones. Like everybody would be streaming the runaway train yeah. from their phone, and everybody would be like, you know, tweeting like, "I heard that the train isn't even moving that fast," <laughs> or "I heard that the train is actually Ukrainian." You know, like <laughs> Ukrainian. Uh, 
I should have put. Yeah, that would be like what aged the worst. Do this movie today. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that would be what aged the worst. Any other what's aged the worst? <laughs> All right. Casting what ifs. I don't really have anything. There wasn't a ton of Denzel information. Denzel dropped out than, for a few minutes and then came back. Right? So Martin, oh, really? Cam- yeah. Martin Campbell almost directed it. Oh, really? That was the only thing I found. And then the other thing was Tony Scott used real newscasters mm-hmm. as much as possible mm-hmm. because he thought it'd be more authentic. And it's actually, I did notice that. I do always wonder why movies don't use the real reporters yeah. over the fake actors pretending to be reporters because it always feels more authentic. Well, I think that goes into one of the things that I loved about the movie so much is, um, you know, it's got a huge cast of speaking parts because of all the different people that they cut around to. I mean, they're all perfect. I mean, every, uh, there's not a weak note in, you know, in this movie. Even if you don't like Darcy, she's like a, she's kind of cute. And there's like, she has this empathy in her face for when, sure. she's, when she's watching, uh, uh, when she's watching the television. You can't win me over on Darcy. Yeah, well, that's okay. <laughs> um, uh, uh, that's, not, that's not my case I'm going to make. All right. But like even the, uh, I mean, but talking about everybody who comes in and has a few lines, they kind of nail it. And even including uh, um, uh, the newscaster in the helicopter that you only see her footage from the video right. thing. Yeah. She's right on, man. Yeah. She's terrific. But everybody is that level. Everyone is just comes in for their little bit, their little piece of the mosaic, their little tile, yes. their little piece of tile. And it's a vibrant color and it makes the whole picture. Quick break to tell you about the Ringer Podcast Network. If you're new to this podcast, just because Quentin Tarantino's on it, we have a lot of podcasts, sports, movies, television, celebrity gossip, solos with people like David Chang and Larry Wilmore and J.J. Redick. More importantly, the rewatchables. We're heading toward 100 episodes. In fact, the next one with Tarantino will be our 100th episode. And if you like this one, I would encourage you to go back into the archives and you can find all kinds of movies from the last 50 years, including we go way back to Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. We've done both Godfathers, Fatal Attraction, Jaws, My Best Friend's Wedding, The Shawshank Redemption, Silence of the Lambs, The Shining. You name it. If you've rewatched it a few times, we've probably done it. So after you finish this one, if you want a little more rewatchables, I would go back, dip into the archives, and you can do it wherever you get your podcast. The rewatchables presented only here on the Ringer Podcast Network. Back to Unstoppable. Dion Waiters Award. This is a category of one to me. This is the Ned Award. Oh, you got it, man. No, TJ. Almost to be called the Net Award. I think so. <laughs> I think you could make the argument. I don't want to no. take it away from Dion. Obviously, a very special person to me. You want to you skip over TJ Miller just completely? I just don't think anybody has the, the, the range of the Ned gets three scenes, including the most important moment in the movie, Ned. plus the funny moment in the diner. I mean, we can talk about the other people that would come in for second and third and fourth, and they're all fun to talk about. But it's it's but it's it's Ned's Ned. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's Ned. And and there and there's even an and and one, Lou Temple just crushes yeah. the role. He just crushes the role. But then it is again, it falls into a Tony Scott motif that he's done before. He does it in Crimson Tide, where it's he sets up these little interesting characters that could almost they're like under five guys or almost they could be extras almost in the back. I mean, like Lou Temple doesn't look like an extra. All right. But the point being is they're a smaller character that grows a little bit more. Mm-hmm. You, know, you see him, you think he's just going to be what he is in the first act. Then he grows into a more important character in the second act. And then in the third act, he saves the day. Yeah. That happens in uh, Crimson Tide. All right. With Vossler. Yeah. The, uh, uh, the guy whose, whose job it is to fix the radio. Yes. 
where it's like, well, there would be nuclear war yes, if Fossler didn't fix the radio. And, 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 and Denzel says those words yes, to him. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's like there's a war is going to happen in uh, a nuclear war, uh, uh, but two sides, this crew is going to break up and they're going to have a fight and they're going to literally combat each other. And unless this radio starts working, depending on who wins this fight, there will be nu- there will be nuclear war. Right. All right. And the only thing <laughs> stopping it can it's stop it is Bossler fixing the radio. <laughs> so the Bossler. fact that he does it a second time, yeah. all right, where a minor character comes in and saves the day. But as good as it is in Crimson Tide, it's when Ned pulls up in that red truck and you realize he's going to save the day. It's, it's, you're related. Also, you have it's no a movie idea. Losing your spirit moment. It's like, you don't know why Ned's, when she's like, Ned, get back in your truck. Yeah. You don't hear her other end of the conversation when she explains to him mm-hmm. why she would possibly want him to be doing that. And so for the rest of the movie, it's just mm-hmm. really Ned driving every few minutes yeah, yeah, uh-huh. to get a cutaway, yeah, uh-huh. but you don't know why he's driving. Like, is he trying to like, is he going to do something to the train? Yeah. Is he going to throw the truck in front of the train? Like, what's he doing? And then when yeah, you yeah. find out, oh, he's just going to outrun this train. This is like, you know, it's yeah. Incredible. Yeah. The uh the Joey Pants Award. It's so many. Yeah. So many to choose from. I wanted to shout out, you guys can pick who you want. Kevin Dunn yeah. as Galvin the boss. Yeah, yeah. Kind of a sneaky great IMDB. Mm-hmm. He was he was the good guy in Dave. He was yeah, yeah, the one yeah. who turns on Frank Langella. Mm-hmm. He was in Warrior. He was in Draft Day. He was the dad in Mad Love with Drew Barrymore. <laughs> he was in Little Big League. Yeah. He was in Veep. He's just one of those well, I always guys. think of him as a guy in Veep. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But he's one of those yeah. guys. And I don't feel like he became Kevin Dunn until Veep. Sure. Where yeah. people are like, oh, that's Kevin Dunn. But before that, he was just like that guy who's been in a bunch of movies. Yeah, I remember I, I remember that time. Uh, I remember when I, he's in um, Bonfire of the Vanities. I remember when I saw him in Bonfire. Oh, wow. He's that guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. Because I had just saw him in something else. And then that's when I started seeing him again and again and again. So I think the the winner of the Joey Pants Award, because I think Kevin Dunn's ineligible, would be, uh, mm-hmm. would be Ned. Because I see Ned now and I just... He's on like Walking Dead and stuff. I think Corrigan could go into the Joey Pants I kind of... I, I, I kind of... Corrigan though. Yeah, I kind of... I kind of... I, I think of Corrigan actually. Okay. You know, now when you have like, hey, look, that's so-and-so. All right. You know, there is the the uh, um, the gal who's on uh, 911. All right. Yeah. Uh, uh, Hen. Yeah. Henrietta on 911 is is the woman who's leading the uh, the kids on the, uh, yeah, uh, the train right. thing. And, that's right. And she... she as if she's playing Henrietta from nine one one, but uh, I kind of think it's uh, Corrigan. Okay, I love how weird he gets with like his just like his safety inspector guys. Like that's yeah. how they make glue. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is it weird that I just think he's Kevin Corrigan though? Is he that guy? I think I think of him as a that guy because he's okay. done so much character. Because there's since- another that guy, mm-hmm. the guy who's always the Boston guy in every movie, Kevin Chapman. I think his name is. Oh, uh-huh. He's been. He was he was the guy with Rosario Dawson. Oh, okay, okay, that guy, yeah. But that guy's in the Boston movie. The guy who plays Bunny, yeah, yeah. He should probably actually. Well, when I think, I mean, the reason I the reason I think that uh, Kevin Corrigan is that guy is because you know he was a staple of independent movies in the 90s. Yeah, sure. All right, so he was a staple. So to actually see him in this big action-y kind of thing, playing playing this kind of cool standout little character is like, oh, hey, that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Linda Partridge, they knew overacting word. I didn't really feel like <laughs> nobody really like goes there over was the a top. notable overacting format. So I'm going to leave this one vacant. Apex Mountain. Could you make the case for Hooters? 
Has there ever been a better Hooters moment? This is the height of Hooters when they're opening Hooters oh, all over I, the place. I, that, that, it's also like a really heartwarming Hooter, Hooters scene. Because yeah, it's just exactly. like people like working I mean, after, through college. Yeah. After, uh, 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 after being run through the, the mud in Big Daddy. Yes. <laughs> right, right. That's right. <laughs> Hooters is sort of redeemed it's and true. unstoppable. Sort of what it is. <laughs> if, you, you know, if, if, if you actually were a waitress at Hooters and you watch Big Daddy, oh my God, all these jokes I got to listen to for the rest of my life. Oh, finally, redemption. Um, I have no other Apex Mountain unless you, unless you guys think it's Pine. That's really yeah. It. Well, no, that was what I was gonna. That's that's what I was gonna say. I actually think. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I think uh, I would have thought Star Trek for him, but I guess well, maybe it's well. This. Apex Mountain isn't the thing that launches you. True. You know, no, I was trying to think when he would have the most kind of yeah. sway power or whatever. Yeah, I think this. You know, he he gets it because of Star Trek, and this is his first chance to really show his movie star leading a big movie with a big director uh, alongside a big star and holding his own. Yeah. And it's also a classic Hollywood uh, uh, move. Uh, okay, this guy has established himself in this movie over here. Let's put him with an older, established male actor and ha- you know, and then the, the, see the two of them work together. Yeah. And that takes the guy along to the next step. And I think a case can be made that Pine hasn't taken the next big leap sure. all right, from Unstoppable. He's waiting for you. I, I, you just got to write him a I'm great I'm the part. biggest fan of him. So write if I had the right part, role, I would. For God's sakes. I would. I would. I would. I, I'd like to. <laughs> the uh, Half-Assed Internet Research. So we didn't mention the top. This was inspired by a 2001 incident where a runaway train ultimately traveled 66 miles through Northwest Ohio. And the supply part, I think, in the beginning is relatively dead on. I don't oh, know really? if he was uh, as goo- like they go to great pains to be like here's all the procedures that this guy did fo- follow and they never named him mm-hmm. in the so when they did the reporting like he was yeah. never outed but it sounds like you know he wasn't as goofy as Supley was in the, in the mistakes <laughs> yeah, that he made. Imagine. Like they like the air brakes thing like they don't attach the air brakes when they're in the yard. So it wasn't yeah. like completely stupid like I'm just crushing a burrito and I forgot that the train was moving kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well Two of the train's cars contained thousands of gallons of molten phenol, a toxic ingredient of paints and dyes. And uh, and that's what they were worried about. It got up to 51 miles an hour, and then it stopped. Uh, another one, Chris Pine performed all of his own stunts. Boom. Denzel apparently does not like heights mm-hmm, and right. did not want to get on top of the train. Tony Scott, Jedi mind tricked him. To going up there, he was on wires and stuff. I think Denzel does a did an interview after the movie came out with Tony, where they were asking about this. And he, but he said, "I did the stunt because I didn't want to be the guy doing interviews after the movie came out, being like, why didn't you go up on the top of the train?'" (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And apparently, the train was empty, so it was rocking even more than usual. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty difficult. But he's a good athlete. Uh, That's all I got. There wasn't a lot of half-assed internet research on this one. The recasting couch. I'm not a Darcy fan in this movie, so maybe I would have maybe explored somebody different. Little Amy Smart, something like that. You yeah, know? like a, who's 2011 Amy Smart? Well, you maybe a little you Michelle Moynihan. Think it is Amy Smart? Yeah, yeah. Right. Right. I was like, <laughs> I was like, is that the crank girl? <laughs> Michelle Moynihan, maybe I don't know. Pick a nits. All right, it's time. <laughs> Why not attempt the guy jumps into the car trick sooner? Yeah, <laughs> maybe try that. I don't know. Yeah. Before you hang a guy out of the, the helicopter. I would have tried that before the helicopter. The helicopter would have been after it didn't work where people could just mm-hmm. drive next to the car and somebody jumps on. 
Well, I mean, look, a, a decent nitpick. That is a decent. That is a decent nitpick. I mean, it's also an, it's also one of those things that they could get out of the way by saying, well, you know, uh, um, well, for the next for the next fifty miles, there's no place right where the where a car could actually catch up and do it. Yeah, 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 exactly. Okay. How did they get with the Pittsburgh local news such fancy graphics and such great expertise from the anchors <laughs> about what trains. happens with runway trades? These people were versed the same way it would be versed during like a Lakers trade well, on ESPN. I, look, I believe, I'm not trying to argue against this, but I mean, I think I, I see stuff all the time now. I mean, okay. they, they're, they're plugged in. Did you see the news. graphics though? They had like maps and color code. They well, were maybe just runaway trains roll. in central <laughs> Pennsylvania are like car- carjackers in LA. Like they just have the runaway they're just train ready to graphics go? Well, package. no, wait a minute. No, I mean, look, they know that the, you know, this is this is their local audience, sure. and people know about that X curve, and they know about those yeah. uh, uh, <laughs> those tanks of whatever. So it's like, oh, so here's what could happen. Da, 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 da. I don't even feel like L.A. would treat it this extensively. I mean, you it was the LA biggest. News. Thing, it was probably the biggest thing to ever happen to fictional Stanton, Pennsylvania. It wouldn't that they say, you know, uh, and he stopped the train. He is a hero. Yeah. Everyone in Pennsylvania, he is a new hero has risen in Pennsylvania. I should have put that in Apex Mountain, Pennsylvania. How long did it take before they put the train rescue on at Hooters? Because I'm going to say it is never on a TV there. They so just they've have got game, like they probably like got like sports, sports center on all day long. Yeah, nobody's right, like, yeah. "Hey, turn it to the runaway train." Well, no, the girls Hooters. figure it out. The yeah. girls start figuring it out, and somebody call obviously calls the girl. And he calls so they make the manager you. put it on. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Some some weird some dudes in the corner. Don't you Hooters, go to Hooters like, to watch the news? Yeah, I think they're watching <laughs> sports. So this I saw this on the internet. Massive plot hole. When they send another locomotive on the train on the track to try and slow down the runaway train. All they had to do was have the locomotive bump in front of the runway train and then put a driver on the back of that train and just jump onto the other train. And there's a person on the internet who's claiming this would have worked and the movie ends immediately. That's no fun. I don't, my my thing is then the movie's 10 minutes long. Well, they also, when you're doing that, they never connect. He's only bumping it. So that would have been a really difficult jump for him. I don't know about that. Yeah, I mean, mean, jumps that that seem like they, you know, one of the things that's interesting about this movie is stuff that you would think you'd be able to do, even Ethan Suppley catching, doing, the train. catching the train. But then, you know, but that stuff actually is harder in real life. Yeah. And the movie actually sells. Now, when Denzel gets stuck, gets stuck where he can't go any further. Well, you, well, why don't you do this? And why don't you do that? Well, Quentin, that's you just saying that. Yeah. that uh, I think they kind of, you know, <laughs> I'm buying their expertise of like, okay, right. now we're kind of screwed. Any other nitpicks? Yeah, a couple. Go ahead. A couple, Bill. Let's hear it. So, we're basically made to think that this is a 80 mile an hour traveling Chernobyl. <laughs> right. But it seems like no one can get away from it. Like everybody is like at instanton where it's like if this thing goes around this curve, it's going to launch all this chemicals into fuel tanks. Also, the train itself has diesel gas. But in the meantime, the entire town seems to have turned up at this at the train tracks oh, to yeah, watch yeah, yeah. this. Where it's like, I thought everybody was evacuating, but Darcy's like, I gotta bring my kid uh, to ground zero. Where, where right. it's going to crash. Yes. No, where, where you can see it, all yeah. right? No, I mean, there's like, I thought the whole idea was to ex- <laughs> get rid of the title. Let me one. take this, my son there should to be where no the poison gas is there. going to be. There should be yeah. choppers and everyone else should be in Philadelphia. So you're saying like the state should be evacuated. Yeah, I mean, at it's least like go that to Ohio. Town. Well, no, like, at least this... that town, but the fact that they can actually show up to where ground zero is, where they're expecting a crash <laughs> to be a looky-loo, and you take your children to see that? Yes. 
also like it's a hanging in the West. I don't know a lot about. <laughs> I know, seriously, I don't know a lot about what we do and don't ship on trains. But yeah. it does seem like, you know, you've got molten phenol and grain. What's up with that? We just like so like you're gonna bring like a toxic chemical also with like a farming subsidy. Well, uh, <laughs> Different cars. Uh, no, I don't. Yeah, no, I, you don't uh, buy that. No, that, it, no, they they make their money getting things from here yeah. to there. They're not right? thinking, what car is a different car? No, the train. They, they 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 move stuff. There's the biggest thing I have though, and this what is you, you had one right? Well, the yeah, I have a huge over? one. Yeah, <laughs> that I can't believe you guys didn't say. <laughs> it's it's my only real, 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 real one. The fact that he puts the uh, uh, the gear shift, all right, in uh, independent, and then it just like it's it just shifts out, like it's like in Final Destination, all right, <laughs> it just moves on its own to full out throttle. <laughs> now I, I it's you know it's the only bold face thing a hundred percent in well I mean there's a lot of bold things bold thing face things in the movie that are meant to goose you up, whether it's the, the train full of kids that, that, right. that, that the train almost hits or the horse that it almost hits. And it's why I actually find the S curve or the, the big circle curve and then the uh, um, all those gas things uh, that would just blow up everything. The reason I, 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 I think it's ridiculous but I buy it because it's fun. <laughs> yes. It's exciting. It's fun. I mean, yeah, Jaws could take place in the winter, all right? right but it's right. just more fun to have <laughs> the, the beach full of people. Yeah. Right? Uh, um, See, I took it as uh-huh. he just forgot to lock something on the handle. Because he the thinks he's going to be able moving, to get back in. Yeah. Yeah. I took it as like a human error, forgot to push the but safety I see, thing. The way they shoot I'll, it is I'll like go a ghost. with that. Yeah. All right. But like there's a, but another. Final fr- Destination. But, but it does feel like Final Destination. <laughs> like, well, okay. Well, like he needs to get it started and then we forgive it. All right. But the thing is though, there seemed to be a moment where they actually seem like they're going to deal with it. When Rosario Dawson is talking to Dewey and she goes, okay, now Dewey, go back into your little recesses of your yeah, brain yeah, yeah. and explain. I think, oh, they're going to now explain that he put it in independent, but if you put it in independent, it also, there also has to be something else you have to do. And if you don't do that something else, then it could slip. Yeah. And then she doesn't do that. <laughs> I mean, they actually seem like they're going to set it all up. And okay, and I don't know anything about engineering, but okay, and it doesn't even have to be true. Yeah. All right, but I'll buy it for this movie. And then they don't do it. They don't address it. <laughs> the only other thing that I did, the only other nitpick I had was the the, the shooting at the train plan. Just seemed bad. Yeah, that seemed like a bad Just idea. Just seemed like you like you had like a one in 100 chance of that working and then the other 99 are really bad <laughs> it's results. It's like right into the gas tank. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. I think, That's a good one. Okay, there is one other one. And uh, um, when Chris Pine and Denzel decide to go back for the train and, and catch it. Yeah. Before they've actually talked to Rosario and before they get uh, Galvin involved in it and they're just kind of on their own trying to do it. We see shots of like, the news helicopter following them. Yes. <laughs> All right. Now I know why that's there because they wanted to use the footage, the news helicopters in every shot they did of the train. Now the news helicopter doesn't know what they're doing yet. Yeah. And why they're doing it and why they should be filming this, but it's there. Now it's now look, you can, you can explain it where uh, the movie could explain it. Well, you know, there was news helicopters and they, they, they saw the, the almost miss and they see the trains going. So why not follow them? And like, Hey, why is this train going here? And, and that could be what catches everybody up to what's going on. But no, you know what it is. They're using sure. footage. They're, they're, they're literally using footage that was meant for a different time in the movie. Right. They want to use it there. And we're used to seeing the helicopter. So we're not going to ask, but it's odd. Now, look, if you, 
I'm down with cheating. I'm down with using footage that was not meant for something and using it someplace else. But the whole point is to pull it off. Yeah. And in that moment, they don't pull it off. I know what I'm looking at. Right. Right. That's fair. Could this be remade as a 10-episode Netflix show? I'm going to say no. I'll say no, too. That's going to be tough. No, but I would fucking love it, to see him try. Tough 10 hours. <laughs> train. Episode 5, train's still going. Yeah, train. the train's in D.C. now. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Just took out some more horses. <laughs> Probably unanswerable questions. What's going on with Denzel's daughters, exactly? They're just working their way through college, yeah, Bill. Just, but what a what a delightful two characters. Oh that, no, I agree. They yeah. don't explore at all. Oh yeah, and it's just like well, just if we had ten hours to explore, students. you know, they could we just spend some time with them. Look, I mean, it literally is, uh, you know, almost the thing you don't like about Darcy. It literally is a situation of a case where um, they cast two perfect gals in that part, man. I mean, yeah. like you know, they don't really have a whole lot of dialogue, but like they, they light up the screen. Yeah, you can tell that he's a great father. You can tell the you know uh, that no. They bit Bitterness at all from either of them? They're yeah. just busting his balls. Yeah, I I wanted a spinoff where they're just happy yeah. and they're just putting themselves. <laughs> I mean, every the time we see them, like you know, smiling or worrying, I'm like, I'm just, I'm happy. Even at the end, Rosario Dawson <laughs> yeah, kisses yeah. him, cuts to them. They're just yeah. super happy. Yeah. I was yeah. like, oh, these are the happiest daughters who've ever been in a movie. <laughs> Greater Pennsylvania action movie: This or Striking Distance? <laughs> this one. Striking <laughs> 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 Distance. <laughs> Incredible. Coast, like, SJP is in that. Local Coast Guard yeah, movie. Right. Yeah, right. Bruce Willis. No, I mean, that's what I like about Stray. I don't like the serial killer part in it, but I actually like the fact that it's about the Coast Guard. Yeah. That's, I like, the, that's what I actually like about it. The Willis Riverwatch. is at this great point in his career, and he's just sifted through these scripts, and he's like, hey, what's this? Pittsburgh Coast Guard movie. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> a, get on this. That's that weird movie. This thing's where, gonna be hot. Where it's like it's a car chase in the daytime, or <laughs> right. I can't remember if it's at night. It's a, it's a car chase in the daytime, and then they crash, and then all of a sudden it's daytime. Yeah, versus, yeah, or it's, yeah. it's the other way around. The light changes holes. quickly in Pennsylvania. That's a movie that actually would have been better as a ten episode Netflix show. They tried to, distance. They tried to pack a lot of <laughs> right. stuff into. There's some Coast Guard. There's some mafia. Um, this is a question for for Quentin. Do you feel like anyone has ever fully 100% unlocked Rosario Dawson in a movie? Hmm. Tapped into all the things we all like about her that obviously a lot of directors have been enchanted with. She's yeah. played some interesting characters. Mm -hmm. Do you think she has had her apex role yet? No, I know she hasn't. Because I feel like the answer is no. Yeah, the answer is... I, she has shown her incredible charm and she's shown her incredible connection that the audience has with her. You just mm -hmm. like her. Yeah. And you like following her. And, uh, um, and she has shown that, but you know, has she, has she ever, I, I don't think she's had that role. I don't think she's had that role that, uh, um, that takes it, uh, that, that, you know, where the, she, she needs a movie built around her that has that kind of, uh, uh, she, her character has that kind of connection with an audience. She reminds me of like those NBA players we like that never totally found the right team. Sure. Yeah. Even Clerks 2 is a movie I wasn't crazy about. I thought she was great in She's it. terrific in it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And there's been a lot of moments like that with her. Like, oh, man. She's yeah. amazing. as well, wasting her again in this yeah, well, one. Look she, look, she doesn't win the game, but the game doesn't get won without her. Yeah. yeah. That, if you're talking about, you're making player analogies. She's like Robert Horry. Yeah. She, she, gets, <laughs> she does the Ed Harris part in Apollo 13 in this, and she does great with it. So... You have to write a movie for Chris Pine and Rosario Dawson. This well, is I, when you leave, well, just go to a coffee Well, you just kind of there. insulted me because I actually put Rosario. Rosario Dawson is in Death, Death Proof, yeah. all right? No, and, but not, is she the lead, though? She's she's pretty uh, much Along with Zoe, she's yeah. pretty much the lead of the second half. Yeah. She's not the lead, though. 
well, who's the lead? It's like those three girls. They're the leads. And she's Russell, one of the three girls. Thinking? He's the bad guy. Yeah. I don't know. I want to see her in like a 2019 Kramer versus Kramer I want to see her well, like going you. through a divorce. Okay, or... let me, she's the hero. She's one of the three heroes. Yeah. All right. Yeah. She's one of the three. He's the bad guy. She's one of the three heroes that, that take him down. Sure. I want to see her like Silkwood type of movie. Oh, you want the Meryl role I, for well, her. Yeah, I want like the Meryl Streep role for her. Some, yeah. Something where she... Yeah, well, has here's to carry a, a movie. No, but here I I actually I'm not exactly sure that if I want to see her in a um an arty movie or a social drama kind of thing. I I could see her. I could see her in anything. She's a, she's a really terrific actress, but I actually think I actually think something more genre oriented, all right, where she gets to be a movie star. And uh and like I said, uses that wonderful empathy that uh, she has with the audience yeah. and the audience has for her. I actually read a book that was actually a pretty good book about, uh, uh, and I always thought Rosario would be fantastic for it. And it's a, it's a World War II speculation book about uh, that maybe uh, Roosevelt was assassinated. Oh, wow. And the way the assassination worked is um, a woman from a, um, an Arab country was sent to America and she posed as a black maid. And the whole point is to eventually get into a room with Roosevelt as his maid and put cyanide in his coffee. <laughs> no way. When did this book come out? Uh, it came out about uh, about twelve years ago. Okay. And I and I read it and like as, and there's a really good book. And as I'm reading it, it's like, God, Rosario would kill in this role. <laughs> She'd be fantastic in it. I gave her the book. <laughs> Roosevelt, that's not on my conspiracy <laughs> corner. I got to do some research today. Who uh, who won the movie? Oh, can we just do a couple of best quotes? Oh, yeah, go ahead. I just wanted, because I wanted to shout out, uh, you know, because speaking of Rosario, she has like one of the best lines. It got away from you. How the hell did this happen? It just got away from you. It got away from you? It's a train, Dewey, not a chipmunk. <laughs> I really like that. I yeah, really like good. Mr. Gal Galvin. This is Will Coulson, your conductor, letting you know we're going to run this pitch down. Mr. Galvin, this is Will Coulson, your conductor. I'm letting you know we're going to run this bitch down. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. And then Ned has the line of the movie. Do it, you pussy! Jump in the bag! What <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I think... All of Ned's uh, uh, interview, all right, uh, uh, at, the, at, at the at the uh, uh, the hero ceremony. Yeah. That was funny. <laughs> yeah, we should put that in a rewatchable scene. Ned, Ned, you, Ned, were you worried? Was I worried? Nah, not really. It's all about precision. I wouldn't have undertaken such. Uh, who won the movie? I'm going to say Tony Scott. Tony Scott. Yeah. Okay, but you know what? I will make one case for um, the train. Yeah. Seven 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 won the movie. Yeah. All right, the train wow. won the movie. All right, because uh, I mean, I think it goes without saying that it's probably Tony, but uh, but uh, I think it, a case needs to be made. Uh, it's one of the only things I don't think I got across as much as I wanted to was um, how, and so I guess this go even goes back to Tony, because actually, if, if the train is is going to turn into King Kong, then it's the director who did it. Uh, the train becomes a monster. Yeah. And it's really interesting how that happens because it doesn't happen at first. No, man, because it's not yeah. like Jaws where it's always the shark. Yeah. And yeah. it's like it's 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 a combination of 
its first couple of big impact moments where it like you see how unstoppable it is and you see how powerful it is and then like and it, the train even has its own theme every time like it it, uh, it busts through and it just it can't be stopped and it keeps on going that dun, 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 kind of like weird thing and it's almost like king kong walking through the jungle yeah. taking on all comers and winning all comers also even the fact the fact that 777 keeps being stronger and faster than anybody involved with the train wants to give it a credit for. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. And they keep thinking they can stop it and they keep thinking it's going to be okay and they're wrong. He uh, 777 keeps going on. It takes on all comers and is always ends up victorious yes. in every single battle it does. And there's also another thing because it starts getting like uh, uh, character qualities. Mm-hmm. All right. That it didn't have before. Like for instance, when Rosario Rosario talks about uh, derailing the train in the field. Well, you're kind of thinking that's a pretty good idea. They should do that. All right. And you know why they don't, but that's a good idea. Oh, that's obviously what they should have done. And you're kind of down with it because the train, it's just a runaway train at this point. Right. All right. But after it just ends up being victorious here and victorious there. And it, and it, and it's, it's getting scarier and scarier, but it's also, it's getting more impressive. And it's yeah. getting more impressive. And they're all kind of sounding a little silly. Yeah. And they're all kind of sounding stupid that they don't realize that they're dealing with this incredibly powerful beast. And one of the things you like about Denzel is he actually seems like he respects the train. Yes. He understands <laughs> the train. And by that point in time, now you don't want the train to be derailed. You want it stopped. Right. It doesn't deserve to die. Right. It doesn't deserve to be destroyed. This is the greatest train they've ever had. And that's what they do. They only <laughs> they just hit the brake on it. They yeah. don't blow it up. They don't knock it right. off the track. But you don't want them to do, you don't want to you don't want them to ruin it yeah. and derail it. You actually are invested in them stopping the train. <laughs> it is true cuz in the wrong hands mm-hmm. the train somehow blows up and in the movie cuz that's what we're conditioned to see. Yeah. Is the monster dying or going down like in Jaws? Yeah, and that's also this train just kind of stops. And yeah, comes well, to that's an end. What, well, that's one of the cool bits about uh, uh, the engineer uh, Judd uh, getting his train derailed that we get to see. Oh no, this shit's gonna blow up. Yeah, this is this yeah, is, this is fucking it. Yeah, <laughs> and because it's also, it's like this is what's gonna happen if we do derail this train. Yeah, it's yeah. like look at what th- what happens when a train explodes. Yeah. I forgot to put this in probably unanswerable questions. So the movie's ending. They do the press conference, the whole thing, and mm-hmm. we're gonna end. If they had cut to the train mm-hmm. and the train just started slowly <laughs> moving again, <laughs> would you like that or not like that? It's like, oh my God, it's alive. <laughs> uh, all right. So we say Tony Scott who yeah, won the Tony movie. Scott, Scott, yeah. All right. This was fun. I'm glad. I'm glad you chose this movie. It was oh, really man, fun to deal, dive good into deal. it again. Me too. We're me doing too. one more. We're doing uh, King of New York. King of New York. And uh, when we're doing that Thursday? Thursday. Thursday. Yeah. Thursday. Yeah. Cool. So there you go. Thanks, Quentin Tarantino. Thanks, Chris Ryan. You got it, man. You got it. All right. Thanks to Quentin Tarantino for doing that. He's coming back one more time next week. Thanks to Pepsi. With the new year officially here and everyone vowing to restrictive resolutions, Pepsi wants to usher in the new decade a bit differently by encouraging everyone to unapologetically do what you enjoy, even in the face of others' judgment. Like me with horror movies. I just like bad horror movies. I see a new one available to be rented on Apple or Amazon or any of these places. If I see a picture of a house that looks scary, I'm probably renting it. I'm not going to apologize. Pepsi, that's what I like. 
Back here next week on The Rewatchable. See you then.